best, but that was so long ago that they had become too small for him, fitting rather tightly and scarcely reaching the top of his patched and broken hobnailed boots. The knees and the bottoms of the legs of his trousers had been patched with square pieces of cloth several shades darker than the original fabric, and these patches were now all in rags. His coat was several sizes too large for him and hung about him like a dirty ragged sack. He was a pitiable spectacle of neglect and wretchedness, as he sat there on an upturned pail, eating his bread and cheese with fingers that, like his clothing, were grimed with paint and dirt. "'Well, then, you can't have put enough tea in, or else you've been using up what was left yesterday,' continued Sawkins. "'Why the bloody hell don't you leave the boy alone?' said Harlow, another painter. "'It's my belief that half the money we gives him is spent on penny horribles. He's always got one in his hand, and to make what tea he does buy last, he collects all the slops what's left and biles it up day after day.' "'No, I don't,' said Bert, who was on the verge of tears. "'It's not me what buys the things at all. I gives all the money I gets to Crass, and he buys them himself, so there.' At this revelation some of the men furtively exchanged significant glances, and Crass, the foreman, became very red. "'You better keep your bloody threatens and make your own tea after this week,' he said, addressing Sawkins, "'and then perhaps we'll have a little peace at mealtimes.' Sawkins was not popular with any of the others. When, about twelve months previously, he first came to work for Rushton & Co., he was a simple labourer, but since then he had picked up a slight knowledge of the trade, and having armed himself with a putty knife and put on a white jacket, regarded himself as a fully qualified painter. The others did not perhaps object to him trying to better his condition, but his wages, five pence an hour, were twopence an hour less than the standard rate, and the result was that in slack times often a better workman was stood off when Sawkins was kept on. Moreover, he was generally regarded as a sneak who carried tales to the foreman and the bloke. Every new hand who was taken on was usually warned by his new mates not to let the bugger Sawkins see anything. The unpleasant silence which now ensued was at length broken by one of the men who told a dirty story, and in the laughter and applause that followed, the incident of the tea was forgotten. "'How did he get on yesterday?' asked Crass, addressing Bundy, the plasterer, who was intently studying the sporting columns of the Daily Obscura. "'No luck,' replied Bundy gloomily. "'I had a bob each way and Stockwell in the first race, but it was scratched before the start.' This gave rise to a conversation between Crass, Bundy, and one or two others concerning the chances of different horses in the morrow's races. It was Friday, and no one had much money, so at the suggestion of Bundy, a syndicate was formed, each member contributing threepence for the purpose of backing a dead certainty given by the renowned Captain Kiddum of the Obscura. One of those who did not join the syndicate was Frank Owen, who was, as usual, absorbed in a newspaper. He was generally regarded as a bit of a crank, for it was felt that there must be something wrong about a man who took no interest in racing or football, and was always talking a lot of rot about religion and politics. If it had not been for the fact that he was generally admitted to be an exceptionally good workman, they would have had little hesitation about thinking that he was mad. 
This man was about thirty-two years of age and of medium height, but so slightly built that he appeared taller. There was a suggestion of refinement in his clean-shaven face, but his complexion was ominously clear, and an unnatural colour flushed the thin cheeks. There was a certain amount of justification for the attitude of his fellow workmen, for Owen held the most unusual and unorthodox opinions on the subjects mentioned. Owen saw that in the world a small class of people were possessed of a great abundance and superfluity of the things that are produced by work. He saw also that a very great number, in fact the majority of the people, lived on the verge of want, and that a smaller but still very large number lived lives of semi-starvation from the cradle to the grave, while a yet smaller but still a very great number actually died of hunger or, maddened by privation, killed themselves and their children.